Not only would I be deficient as a pastor, I would also be heretical as a theologian and a Christian while I am doing a study on the doctrine of God, our experience of God, if I don't share with you the mystery of the Trinity. Now, we don't cover this very often, and there are a couple reasons why. Number one, it is hard. It's difficult. And I... Hopefully, by God's grace, we'll present it this morning in a way that is understandable, at least as far as we can go. Because the truth is, we're not going to understand the Trinity. We can understand parts of the Trinity, and we can understand uh, the power of the Trinity, but we can't understand the Trinity. For instance... If we had an audience this morning with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we said to them, will the real God please stand up? Not just one of them is going to stand. Not just two of them will stand. But all three of them will stand as claiming to be The one true God. So we're confused. Okay. Are you then you, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit who are standing? You three, are you three different gods? And they would say, No. We are one God, indivisible. So, let's get started. The doctrine of the Trinity, again, one of the more difficult concepts in the Bible to understand. But, from the onset, let's ask ourselves this question. Why would we think that we as the creation could or even should know everything about our Creator. In other words, should the thing made say to the inventor, I will not operate the way you created me to operate until I fully know everything about you. There's an absurdity to that. But that is an important point in studying the, uh, the Trinity. Any metaphor, any illustration that we try to use to, to picture what the Trinity is falls apart. And, and it falls apart because... We're trying to understand this three-in-one trinity concept of God 
with all, just with what we see around us, just what we, what we know about ourselves. We are trying to understand the supernatural with finite abilities. Last week I talked to you about Augustine, an early church father, one of the greatest theologians in Christendom. One day, the story is that Augustine was contemplating the Trinity. And he was frustrated, and he was perplexed, and he was tired, and he was walking along the edge of the sea trying to fit together because he had that logical, systematic, theological mind. And he just, it, it just wasn't computing with him. And he saw a little boy on the, on the seashore. And the little boy <clears throat> had a bucket. And he had dug out a place in the sand so that there was a hole there. And uh, Augustine watched him as he went to the water and filled up his pail and then poured it in the hole. And then he'd go back and get more water and pour it in the hole. And so Augustine came up to him and said, Son, what are you doing? Can you tell me what you're doing? And the little boy said, I'm trying to put this ocean into this hole. And Augustine said, It dawned on me then. I was trying to put the supernatural in our finite, limited abilities, and it explodes it just won't stay within the parameters of logic, our logic, how we think. But nonetheless, let me tell you, there is power, there is wonder, there is excitement in the study of the Trinity. There are three foundational truths. Now, these are just truths that, that are biblical that fit together some way we don't understand. And here are, the, here are those uh, truths, theological truths. Number one, there is one God, eternal and indivisible. Number two, there is one God that exists in three persons, each distinct from the other. And then three, each person of the Trinity is co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal. So those are the three biblical truths that come out of the Scripture that describe the Trinity. There is one God, but there are three persons in that one God. Each person is separate and distinct. And yet God is indivisible. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 13, 14. As we jump into this. And <clears throat> if you, uh, th this is one of those things you've got to really pay attention to. If you miss a part of it, it kind of falls apart. So hang with me. 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 13, 14. 
Before I get to that passage, though, let me make this statement. Don't look for the term Trinity in the Bible. The term was created. But it was a created term to describe these rules. One God, three God, three persons, separate, distinct, but one God. And <clears throat> somewhere along the line, it got termed Trinity. But don't let that bother you at all, because the concept, of course, is there. 2 Corinthians <clears throat> 13, 14. Paul writes this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now, it's obvious because of the position of this, of this uh, scripture. It's at the end of 2 Corinthians. It's at the end of Paul's letter. And so Paul is concluding what he has said in this, these last words. He is concluding his remarks. He is saying his goodbyes three verses earlier. In verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 13, Paul said, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful, grow to maturity, encourage one another, live in harmony and peace. The love of God and uh, the the God of love and peace will be with you. And then he goes on in verses twelve through thirteen. Greet one another with Christian love. All of God's people here send you their greetings. And then he concludes with this verse fourteen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Now, Paul is praying, again, for the church at Corinth, that the church at Corinth would encounter the holy creator, one true God, through the grace of Jesus, through the love of the Father, and through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Paul was praying for the church at Corinth. Experience the Trinity. That would be my prayer for myself and for each one of you. That we might know God through the grace of the Lord Jesus, through the love of the Father, and through the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. There are a couple of truths, a couple of points that I want to make uh, that I, I think will help us kind of put this in a box. But the truth is, if we're going to know Creator God, we're going to have to know Him as Triune Trinity God. Because that is who He is. And we either know Him as Triune God, we either know the Creator God as Triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and allow God to change our lives as the ministries 
of these three of the three-party Godhead as the ministry of these begins to enfold us. We must know him as triune God or we will not know him at all. First, the mystery, first point, mystery of the Trinity. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1.27, he said, For God wanted them to know that the riches and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too, and this is the secret. Your translation may say mystery. This is the mystery. This is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. Paul calls this experience of salvation and Almighty God coming to dwell within us. Paul calls it a mystery, a secret. The workings of the Trinity, a secret mystery that we will never fully understand. But it is a mystery with some great implications. If you forget everything I said this morning, remember this. Someone said, try to define the Trinity and you will lose your mind. Try to deny the Trinity and you will lose your soul. And I think that is absolutely true. The miracle of the Trinity, point two. Follow me, if you would, please. And one of the most familiar passages in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, I want to show you, I want to show you in the text, in the scriptural text, that God himself reveals himself as the triune Godhead. I want you to see that this is not a concept made up through the church ages, that this was that this was received from the Scripture. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This verse, the very first verse in the Bible, is an extremely significant verse as it deals with the triune Godhead, the Trinity. For instance... The term God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me draw your attention to the fact that this term God is actually, in the Hebrew, plural. In the Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, you add generally an I am after the word, an im. To make it plural. For instance, there are seraphs that are angels. And then if you have more than one, you have seraphim. You've heard of that, seraphim. One is a cherub. And the group are cherubim. In the beginning, El is God. Elohim is plural. That's not the only significant factor. 
In the beginning, Elohim, plural, the next word, created. In the Hebrew text, well, let me just say this. English 101 teaches us subject-verb agreement, right? I mean, we learned that way back that the subject and the verb have to be in agreement. The subject is singular, the verb should be singular. If the subject is plural, the verb should be plural. Created is singular. Elohim, the triune Godhead, created singular. As if it said El, created. But it says Elohim, the Godhead, created. It would be like saying, John, Peter, and Paul rides a bike. John rides a bike. Peter rides a bike. Paul rides a bike. But Peter, John, and Paul do not rides a bike. And what we have is Elohim, plural God, singular verb, <laughs> created the heavens and the earth. Some might say that could be a scribal error. That could be a copyist mistake through the ages. Well, if it was a scribal error <clears throat> or a uh, copyist mistake, uh, he was, he should have been fired. He, he wasn't very good because in Genesis 1.26a, we find the same thing happening. God said, now get this, let me make man in my own image. That's not what he said. Let us as the Godhead make mankind, humankind, in our own image. And then the very next verse, Genesis 1.27. So God created human beings in his own image. What we have in verse 26, the triune Godhead, God in three persons. Let us make humanity in our own image according to our own likeness. And the next verse said, so El... Singular God created human beings in His own image. And not just that. Get this. And I, I didn't know this. There are 12 times in the New Testament where the terms... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are found together. Okay, stay with me. Twelve different times in the New Testament, these three, the triune Godhead, are found together. Now listen to this. In that range of twelve different times, the Father is mentioned first 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Father is mentioned first twice. He's mentioned second twice. He's mentioned third twice. And Jesus, the Son, in the 12 times it's found in the Scripture, He's listed first twice, second twice, third twice. And then the Holy Spirit, in those 12 uh, identifications in the Scripture, the Holy Spirit is listed first, is listed second, is listed third. Do you think that that just happened? Isn't that phenomenal? The Holy Creator God is communicating through His truth, this is who I am, this is who we are. Let me... <clears throat> let, me, let me close with this. Three quick ways that the triune Godhead can impact your life. Real quickly. Number one, it will change the way you view God. It will deepen your awe and your wonder at, oh man, who is this great God? It will cause us to see that God is greater than we ever knew, more powerful than we could imagine, and we can realize that we will never stop learning and experiencing who God is. It'll change the way we view God. Secondly, it'll change the way we worship. You know, I, I don't know how we've gotten to the point of thinking when we come in church, that in worship, we have to create it. I mean, there is the absolute surrender when we come to worship. Surrender and being open to the Lord. But then, you know, if we don't feel it, and maybe if the music doesn't, you know, then we think we have to, <laughs> then we have to like that, uh, create that. But in effect... When we gather at a deal like this, all we have to do, instead of trying to get, all we have to do is look up. Because over us is the triune Godhead. And the Father is hugging the Son. And the Son is blessing the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is filling the place. And there is party city going on with great love and awe and wonder. And so in worship, all we have to do is look up and join. Join the worship of the triune God. Join them as they praise one another as they love one another and bless one another. And finally, and this is a guarantee, it will change the way you pray. Listen to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 to 27. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, right? 
I mean, you've been there. We don't know what God wants. But the Holy Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit prays with groanings that can't be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. It is God praying to God over us. Let me tell you what, next time you bow your head to pray, remember that the Holy Spirit of God is covering you. And the Holy Spirit of God wraps you. And He begins to pray for you to the Father in their own language with groanings we can't understand. And it's the Spirit of God, the Godhead, pleads for us. That'll change the way you pray.